few weeks, um, and we've been doing them backwards, of course. Um, because why wouldn't you do them backwards, starting at 10 and working the other way? So we are now at 7 or 3, depending on which direction you're coming. Um, but we're on this one. And uh, it seems like all the others, in fact. When you look at the title, you think, oh, that's straightforward. That's easy. We know what that means. Don't misuse the Lord's name. And that's it. We can all go home. Um, but it's never quite that simple when you dig a little bit deeper. So I want to start um, with a little bit of amusement. I feel like a few bits of amusement would go well this morning. And uh, we're going to have a look at some anagrams. And these, no, I give you the answers, it's fine. Um, <laughs> these are anagrams that seem to say something meaningful, dare I even say profound, about the person whose name it is an anagram of. It's one of those sentences, isn't it? So here we go. Are you ready? Elvis lives. <laughs> See, it's proof. Clint Eastwood, Old West Action. You'll like this one. William Shakespeare, I am a weakish speller. <laughs> or if you prefer, I'll make a wise phrase. That's what happens when you have a long name, isn't it? Madame Curie, me, radium ace. And I like this one. Florence Nightingale, angel of the reclining. <laughs> I'm kind of impressed to get the word reclining. I mean, not me personally, that someone got the word reclining in there. Look, you're not supposed to look at that. <laughs> to be fair, that... Of, of. Osama bin Laden, a bad man, no lies. Sorry if this is a bit sensitive, by the way. I didn't think about it. Saddam Hussein, UN said he's mad. Ah, the clicker's going slow. Margaret Thatcher, that great charmer. <laughs> or not. Chairman Mao, I am on a march. Emperor Octavian, captain over Rome. I like that one. And, um, and this one. <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? Often better at the smiling bit than the other bit, if the truth be told. No. 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 Have you not got the message? No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, names. Names are significant. Names are important. Um, we spend a lot of time thinking about, if we have them, how we're going to name our children. By the way, uh, you haven't seen this photo because I will probably die for showing it to you. These are my children. And when you're... Thank you. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but when you're kind of growing up, and maybe it's a girl thing more than it's a boy thing, you think, one day I might have children and I might call them these names. And then you get together with someone and they don't agree with you. I mean, I don't understand what's that about. For whatever reason, they don't think necessarily that your favourite name is also their favourite name. Or also, you know, maybe it's the name of their ex-girlfriend or something, and you think, no, that's not really a great idea anymore. Or if you're a school teacher, then you really have serious issues, because you have had every name, and not many last at this course. But naming your children, or naming in general, 
is very important and we discuss and we disagree and we think very hard about it. So these are my two children. Our daughter is called Caitlin Anna. Her name means pure grace. I don't know whether she thinks that she lives up to that or not, but that's her name. We chose it partly because of what it means, but partly just because we liked it. Our son is called Joel Michael, and in terms of a sentence, it would be better the other way around. It means the Lord is God, who is like God, and meaning no one is like God. So he has a, a deeply spiritual name, but a lot of it was because I like the name Joel. So we think hard about it, and the meaning of our children's names may or may not be very important to us. In the Bible, it was really important. One of the prophets, Isaiah, had to call his children some really interesting names. Sheer Jashub, which means a remnant shall remain, uh, return. Sorry, And then one of them was called Emmanuel. Well, we maybe do know what that one means, because that's the one we talk about at Christmas. And then this is my personal favorite, Maha Shalal Hashbaz. There's not many kids called that these days, as far as I'm aware. So you could save that one up. Maha Shalal Hashbaz means spoil quickly, plunder speedily. Because God said to Isaiah, I want you to call your children something that's meaningful, that says something, that communicates to the people of God. The same happened to the prophet Hosea. Except he got a really raw deal. So his children were called this, Lo Ruhamah and Lo Ami, which means not loved and not my people. A psychologist dream, but not great for the kids. See, names said something. Names embody something of who someone is. A name is not just a tag, because we think about the whole person and everything that they are and who they mean to us. You know, actually, any names are more than just a tag. When I say the word cucumber, you immediately have an image in your mind of a kind of long green thing that you cut up and eat in salad. When I say lion, you think big cat, mane, safari. The name is really an embodiment of what the thing is or what the person is. And there's a real significance in the Bible of naming and renaming. We know that Abraham became Abraham, the father of nations. Sarah, Sarai became Sarah. We know that after Jacob had wrestled with the angel, the angel said to him, you're now going to be called Israel, which means struggle. That Jesus spoke to Simon and said, from now on, you're going to be Peter, the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Names and naming and renaming are really important in the Bible. And then we come to command number three. Don't misuse the Lord's name. And we simplify it down and say, well, it's about not swearing. It's about not blaspheming, to give it its technical term. It's not using the name of God or the name of Jesus in an inappropriate way. Well, I think that's true. But it also seems a bit of a simplification because the end of that commandment says this, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So in our culture, when virtually everyone all the time says, oh my God, or simplifies it even further down to OMG these days, does that mean that God 
does not hold all those people who inadvertently, or vertently, if that's the opposite of inadvertently, say, oh my God, does he, not, does he hold them guilty for what they have said? Is it that serious? By the way, I do think it's serious, but is it that serious? Or is it that we're not talking about, oh my God, but actually when people use the name of Jesus or Christ, which actually feels truthfully like a dagger through my heart when I hear that, is that what we're talking about? Or is it actually more than that too? What does it mean? In the old versions, it said, don't take the Lord's name in vain, which is frankly even more confusing than the modern version. What does the word vain mean? Emptiness, falsehood in a way that's trivial, light, inconsequential or small, is disrespectful or dishonorable. Well, that, that starts to fill it out a little bit, doesn't it? Any time that we use the name of God, the name of Jesus in a way that's kind of empty or trivial or of no consequence, that's disrespectful or dishonorable, then that's something that hurts God. Sometimes it's easier to think what the opposite of something is. The opposite is what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 when he says, Hallowed be your name. Holy, respected, revered, honoured be your name. So that's what we're meant to do. And if we're not honouring, revering, respecting the name of God, then that kind of means that we are misusing it. So you've got both sides. Let's go back to the context for a moment, shall we? This whole section about commandments is all about the people's identity. Their identity as God's chosen people. Their identity, excuse me, not as slaves anymore, but as free people. That they have this new identity, new identity as the people of God, and this is what it's going to mean. They're not going to murder, they're not going to commit adultery, they're not going to lie, they're not going to steal and they're not going to misuse the name of God. And it starts with an encounter between Moses and God at the burning bush, which is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 3. And I just want to read to you verses 13 to 15, because Moses asked God a really important question. He says to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. So Moses has this encounter. He says to God, You've asked me to do this epic thing to tell Pharaoh that he's got to release all the people from Egypt, all his workforce from Egypt. Who shall I say is speaking to him? And God says, I am who I am. You ever have those moments when you feel like God isn't being overly helpful? It's probably one of those. I am who I am. Equally could be translated, I will be who I will be. Hebrew verbs are an interesting experience and not quite as precise as our ones. 
So it's about the everlasting, the God who was and is and is to come. That God is telling you. That name for God is used almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament. The Jews heard this commandment, don't misuse the name of God, and they felt so anxious about it that they got to a point where they could not speak it at all. They could not write it at all. They just used the consonants because the vowels went underneath and even then you weren't really quite sure what they were. But they almost avoided using the name. They used the word Adonai, which means Lord or Elohim, God of hosts, because they didn't want to use this name of God, Yahweh. I am who I am. And a bit later on, Moses says, tell me some more about you. And in Exodus 33, you might like to turn to that. He's saying to God, the people aren't going to go anywhere unless you tell us that your presence is going to go with us. And in verse 15, uh, sorry. He says in verse 15, Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else would distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses says, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then in chapter 34, which is what we read earlier, God passed by and he proclaims his name, the Lord, the Lord. Whenever you see something written twice, it's not that there's a typo. It's to underline the importance of what is being said. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. So he reveals something of who he is, his character, his essence. The name of the Lord, Yahweh. And in the message version, it says this, God, God, a God of mercy and grace, endlessly patient, so much love, so deeply true, loyal in love for a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Still, he doesn't ignore sin. This is the embodiment of our God, mercy and grace, endlessly patient, always loving, always faithful, always loyal, forgiving, but true, truthful. There are boundaries to sin. This is the Lord. And from the time of slavery in Egypt to this point of standing at Mount Sinai, listening to the Ten Commandments, I guess they probably didn't call them the Ten Commandments then, their experience of Yahweh was this. A God who cares for his people. A God who is faithful to his promises. Who, when he said, I'm going to get you out of Egypt from the hands of Pharaoh, he got them out. Who would take them to the promised land. A God who hears the cries 
of the oppressed. They had cried out to God and he had heard them. It had taken a bit longer than they'd hoped for, but it wasn't because he hadn't heard them. A God who comes in compassion to rescue and save them. A God who provides for his people. A God who is all-powerful. That even when the Egyptian army was following after them with its horses and chariots, God just says, just stretch out your hand. Oh, look, the Red Sea's parted. Well, you just walk through. Oh, and by the way, I'll close it up again before they can come back after you. A God who is just and who will not tolerate injustice. A God who is good. A God whom they could trust. Does that sound like the kind of God that you want to be with? That you want to know, that you want to worship, that you want to experience? That was their God. They understood what he was like. And because of that, they worshipped him. They praised his name. In Exodus 34, as soon as God had revealed himself to Moses, Moses worshipped. When we recognize the name and the character of God, there is no other response than worship. There is no other response than to fall on our knees, literally or metaphorically, and worship, adore, praise, honor him. And then Moses comes down from the mountain and they hear this command, don't misuse the name of the Lord. They understand that his name is not just a word. It's his whole character. It's everything about him. It's all that he has done, all that he is, objectively and to them. Don't misuse his name. They knew exactly what they meant. They knew that this was about God's reputation, his name and his character. And more than that, they knew that all of that was bound up with them. Like the strands of a rope, that together they are woven, God and his people, the name of God and the people who are called by his name, that you cannot have them separated from each other, that they are bound together and they now understand that God is saying, don't misuse my name. We've seen before, haven't we, the contrast between the gods of Egypt and the Lord God. And here we see it again. The gods of Egypt had many names, some of which will be familiar to you. Marduk, Ammon, Horus, Osiris, Anubis. There's loads of them, the gods of Egypt. But those weren't their true names. They were just the names they were known by commonly. Because there's a vulnerability in sharing your name. Perhaps that's why we used to call everyone Mr. and Mrs. in previous generations. I mean, if you've ever watched Pride and Prejudice, they carry on calling each other Mr. and Mrs. like for the whole time because there's something vulnerable about sharing your name. I wonder how many of you have ever read any Russian literature. I mean, you can read it in English, it's fine. You don't actually have to read it in Russian. It is impenetrable is the word that comes to mind because every character has at least three names they have like their work name they have their known sort of generally name and and then they have their name that is only known to the people that are closest to them 
But the reality is that the name changes depending on each relationship. So you start reading the book and you think, right, so this person and this person, Peter and Jane, we'll go for that, right? Good Russian names. <laughs> and then you get in the next paragraph and the names change. Then you get in the next paragraph and they change again. And after about 100 pages, you've generally worked out which three names belong to which character relating to which other character, because there's something powerful about your name and allowing someone else to know your name. You see, God chose to be vulnerable, to allow other people to have power over you, because that's what happens when you give someone your name, and to reveal his true name. His name, his reputation would potentially be vulnerable. The rope would fray because the people of God didn't always honour the name of God. One scholar put it like this, the Jewish tradition, sorry, in Jewish tradition, Hillel Hashem, which is about profaning the name, is regarded as one of the most serious of sins. It means to live in such a way that people around us lose respect for God's holy name. We are instead commanded to lift up his name through our lives so God will be revered, trusted, and loved. So let me ask you a question. When people see the church of Jesus Christ, what do they think of him? What do they attribute to his name? You're very silent. <laughs> what, do we, what do people see when they see the church of Jesus Christ? Well, maybe here's some of the things that they have said or seen. The Crusades, the Inquisition, the witch hunts, violence between Protestants and Catholics that's been going over centuries. Sometimes that's what most people see when they think of the Church of Jesus Christ. Or they see sexism or racism or arrogance or elitism or hypocrisy or judgmentalism or that we're a bit somber and sometimes quite legalistic. Is that what we want people to see of the church of Jesus Christ? Is that what we want them to think of the name of God? See, that's the legacy of history, isn't it? And it may be of the present day too. It's a huge responsibility on us to be the people of God because that's what other people see. And we know that we are still living in the light of some of these things. There's no way I'm going to church. There's no way I want anything to do with your God. Look what has been done in the name of your God. In the schools around here, I believe that it is said to the pupils, when you're in school uniform... You need to be acting as a representative of the school. I have yet to witness this reality, but I know that it's said. The school wants to be known as a place of politeness, discipline, good behavior, moving out of the center of the pavement when someone is walking down the pavement. 
appropriate language. All of the things that the school has decided that it wants our community to think about the school, very few of which we think about the school by the behaviour of the pupils. <laughs> and my kids go there as well. So there is a disconnect, isn't there? And there is a huge disconnect. It's decided to go to sleep now again. There is a huge disconnect when we use the name of Jesus inappropriately. If Jesus is the most precious person to me, if I love him and he loves me, if I know him, he is my saviour and my friend and my Lord, and I use his name inappropriately, there is a huge disconnect in my life. There is a huge disconnect when we use the name of Jesus to support our own agenda. And we see that across the globe. I personally, and we've talked about this before, Phil has as well, have huge issues with the prosperity gospel because we don't see it in here. And when I use the name of Jesus to say that God will provide me everything I want, whenever I want it, then we are misrepresenting the name of Jesus to support our agenda. And throughout history, that has been the case. When there is a lack of integrity between what we sing and say and our hearts and lives, then we misrepresent the name of Jesus. Now, obviously, that is true if I'm sat here in worship Sunday after Sunday and I'm having an affair. That's obviously true, although not so obviously sometimes. But it's also true if I'm singing and saying things here and I'm being a poor employer, treating those in my team with disrespect and harshness, or if I'm singing and saying things and then I'm not working properly in my workplace and I have a lack of integrity and I talk about people behind their back. We misrepresent the name of Jesus when what we are singing and saying in this place, in our relationship with God, and how we are living is not the same. We have a God who welcomes the refugee, has done all time, for all time. So we, we are like that because he is like it. We have a God who cares for the marginalized and the poor. It's not some kind of new agenda. It's because it's in the heart of God. That's why it's in our hearts. When there is a, a gap between the things that we sing and say and read and our lives, we are not representing the name of Jesus. When we use the name of Jesus to manipulate someone else's response. You know, in this church, we believe that God still speaks. We believe that he speaks mainly through scripture, but sometimes he speaks through people. But we are not a church where if you stand up and say, the Lord has said, or thus saith the Lord, we will necessarily agree with you. Because that may be misrepresenting the name of God. It can just be a tag. You know, when we bring something from the Lord, we offer it to be weighed and tested and then we agree together about what God is saying. 
But we are not in a position to use God's name to abuse somebody else, to manipulate their response. When we don't treat the name of Jesus with significant honor, when we trivialize it, in our small group a little while ago, I don't know why, I can't remember, we were doing a quiz about how good a witness to Jesus were you. So it was things like, have you ever shared your faith recently and things like that. They were all quite straightforward. Then it got to a question that says, do you ever wear witness wear? <laughs> do you ever wear witness wear? Like, so none of us had the faintest clue what witness wear was. So after we had looked it up, we realized it's t-shirts and sweatshirts with have, which have words on about Jesus, or like John 3, 16, or some clever thing. You know, I think we have to be careful. I think some of those witness wear <laughs> merchandise got to love it, haven't you? Can be, can be helpful, can create conversation, might be about where you're at in your life right now. But I think there's a really fine line about going to a point of trivializing. I saw something on somebody's Facebook, not in this church, somebody's Facebook status this week, and I went, I don't like that. It just trivialized, it undermined, it was borderline. It wasn't really offensive, it just kind of wasn't right. I think we just need to be aware of what it is that we're communicating. You know, Jesus is pretty special. When we think it's okay to say we are Christians and do whatever we please, it's not okay. We signed up to making Jesus Lord of our lives. When you make someone Lord, then you do the things that they say, not the things that you want. So let me ask you another question. When people see the church of Jesus Christ, what do they think of him? What do they attribute to his name? Well, what does this tell them about what God is like? When we show compassion, when we are welcoming and hospitable to people, when we show mercy, when we have food banks and debt counselling and employment advice, when we demonstrate faithful friendships, real relationships, not perfect relationships, real ones, when we show forgiveness to those who have hurt us, you know, you're not going to get through life without someone hurting you. When we are generous, when we are kind, when there's authenticity, when there is truth, because there are boundaries in God's kingdom, when we are sacrificial and give, what do these things say about Jesus Christ and his church? What do they represent of the name of God? Because I am so grateful to be part of a church that is like this. We are not perfect. We are not perfect. We get it wrong. We mess up. We are not as great as we might be. Sometimes we can't serve in every... But I know that this is us too. And it seems to me that this kind of church honours the name of Jesus. It represents well the God who we worship. And so... Our question is just simply this. How does my life honour the name of Jesus? I mean, I say simply, but it's really quite difficult, isn't it? What do they 
see of Jesus reflected in me. Now, last Saturday night, not yesterday, the one before, we had an amazing women's event here. Lots of guests came, and it was just fab. And, uh, and somebody's friend had said to them, who doesn't normally come to the church, um, I felt cherished. I love that. You know, I mean, there was great food, the music was amazing, the people who spoke were fantastic, da-da-da. But actually to come out the other end and say, I felt cherished. Oh my goodness. I've received compassion. I feel loved. I feel valued. I feel like I'm seen. I feel like I'm heard. I feel like I am known. I feel like I matter. I feel like I could start again. I feel that maybe I could forgive that horrendous thing that has happened because someone's going to walk with me. I feel that there's hope. I feel that there is peace. Not because of us, but because of Jesus and his presence. You know, this Jesus has a very powerful name. When we believe in Jesus, we put our whole trust in him. Now, you have all expressed a huge amount of trust this morning because you've sat on these chairs, which are basically dying like flies. So the fact that you've actually sat on them means that you've put a huge amount of trust in these chairs. It's that same kind of thing. It's that you put your whole trust, everything about your life, in Jesus. And he's hugely more reliable than these chairs. His name is Saviour. And we baptise people in, into the name of Jesus. Not because it's some kind of magical phrase, but because our forgiveness, our identity, our being clean is all about Jesus. It's about being in him that's why we baptize people. We pray in the authority of the name of Jesus. Jesus says, ask me for anything that you want in my name. So not literally anything you want. Because otherwise, like about a week's sleep would be what I would be praying for. <laughs> but things that are according to his will and his purpose and his plans for this world. Things that honor him. Things that give him worship. In his name. There is authority of praying in his name. We are representatives, ambassadors of his kingdom. We have his name upon us. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that at the name of Jesus, every, every knee will bow. Across, across the globe, every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. And some of our brothers and sisters here this morning are coming from nations where to name the name of Jesus is to put your life literally on the line. And some of our friends here this morning will know people in their friendship groups and family who have died for the name of Jesus. But one day, every knee will bow at the name of Jesus and worship him. There is healing and deliverance in the name of Jesus. 
Not in our name. In Acts chapter 19, some people saw what the disciples were doing. They went, oh, we'll have a bit of that. That made them super popular. So they went around and they went, oh, I'm going to heal you. In the name of... But they had no authority. Because it's not a formula. It's a living relationship in his name. Because we know him. Because our identity is in him. The powerful name of Jesus. I would still rather that people didn't say, oh my God. I would most definitely, definitely, definitely prefer that they never use the name of Jesus or Christ as an expletive. But there is something more than that. Because you only do that if you don't know him. If you don't realize the significance of what it means to belong to him, to have that identity But the challenge for us who do know him is that our lives honor him. And then when people see us and the church, they see Jesus.